Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 65 of TNT of season two. Reese and I are here on December 27th. So happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year to come. That's right. Whatever other religious denominations float your boat. But basically, just be happy. You know what I find interesting? Because you say Happy Christmas and I say Merry Christmas. And I have no idea what the difference is. Even though this is not what this episode is about. Can we take a little tangent? Why is it Happy Christmas? I guess because it's a, traditionally a kind of a low point in the year. Everything's dark. Everything's cold. Nothing's growing. No one's doing much. Hence the, the need for this kind of celebration. And for all the Scrooges out there, need an extra prompt to you know, remember to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference of Mary? Really isn't much, but maybe Mary as a, an undertone of skipping and whistling and singing. <laughs> oh, that's delightful. So for me, the word Mary connotates to being mildly drunk. So it also oh. leads to, um, to, uh, to Christmas spirits and all that kind of stuff. So let's be merry and, uh, <laughs> and then happiness will just take care of itself. Right? <laughs> well, on this sort of joyous occasion, we first like to extend our gratitude to all of our listeners for the last two seasons of joining us every week and being part of the exploration that Reese and I have also been on. Every time a guest comes in and blows our mind, there's a sense of personal gratitude for what we've learned, what they've shared, and how we have been able to grow from that over the last two years. I'm very grateful for all the learning experiences that I've had and I know that we've had during this experience and long may it continue and uh, looking forward to season three and beyond. And <laughs> Yes, episode 100 will come out September of 2021. That's very exciting. You know, we've started to introduce in season two these episodes of just Reese and I. And <laughs> the reason we've done that is because you know, we live in the world of emotional intelligence, mindfulness, awareness, unlocking your true self. And one of the things that we enjoy discussing together is our own personal experiences with it. And so this episode, Reese and I are both parents. And in this episode, we want to be able to talk about when we're parents, all of the things that come at us from before our child is born to when they're born to as they're developing and in those spaces of what comes at us, how we use awareness, self-awareness, mindfulness, our authenticity, our emotional intelligence skills to really be the best parents we can possibly be. Because I believe when you become a parent, your number one goal is to be the absolute best parent you can be, to be a better parent than potentially your parents were to you, to not make those same kinds of mistakes that they made to really give your child maybe everything that you didn't have. And then sometimes the crushing reality of parenthood comes in and you find yourself curled up in a ball in a corner going, oh, I'm not doing so great. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes, I, I know that. So, so you mentioned three or four things there and I agree with all of them, especially that unknowing, unless you've had just an ama amazing magical childhood that you read about in the fairy story or you see in the movies or, but I think most of us would agree that that isn't what we've experienced. 
to lesser or greater degrees. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone has that inbuilt desire to provide something better for the next generation and so on. I would say when you said, oh, to be the best parent I can be, I obviously thought that, and I'm sure everyone does think that, but then I recognized in the last 12 months, being able to let go of that idea of trying to be this best thing and, and judging yourself and creating every single thing you do and go, oh, that's not good enough. Being able to let go of those things because there are enough things that we judge and, and critique ourselves on <laughs> just what we are doing ourselves and what we interact with our, our other half or our other existing family, let, let alone trying to add on a whole new, uh, new lifetime that you kind of feel responsible for and as a parent of. So definitely <laughs> let go of that need for a perfect or best parent ever award. Especially <laughs> since this brand new human being is not judging you. They're not rating you. They're not saying you're from a very young age. They're not saying you are a good parent. You are a bad parent. I mean, you're their parent. They don't know any different of what the experience is supposed to be like. Yeah, no, that's interesting because my daughter is nearly three and your son is 14? 15. 15, sorry, Aiden. I would say there's a very big difference there. And he probably is much more aware of, of those judgmental things and, 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 and saying, oh, mum didn't do this right. Mum, oh, mum or dad are not doing this. Or Whereas my daughter is getting to that stage of having that awareness and being able to remember things and go, oh, this is right. And she's absolutely learning all these emotion things. She's always going, I am angry now. This is not good. I'm like, oh my goodness, where's that? where she learned that from? And all the kind of stuff. But that's exactly it. She has to learn these kind of things. Yeah, she doesn't have any of the emotional self-control or you know expression other than just rah or quiet. It's like, is the, what are the two differences? She needs to be really quiet. Well, she does something wrong. She she kind of knows that she's done it wrong now, and she kind of sit there like this. So she put her hands over her face, like a, oh, like guilty, like a, shameful. Well, <laughs> I hope it's not guilt yet or shame or anything, but she definitely has a at least a recognition that oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But <laughs> or it's ah, I want this no <laughs> screeching. And we had a delightful evening out last night, and then mum and dad were saying, oh, isn't she great? She's really come on in the last few months. I said, yeah, she's been great, really good. Stop hurting the cat and all these kind of things. <laughs> and then on the way home, probably because of all the sugar and things we plied her with to keep her happy sure. during an evening, sure. <laughs> a massive meltdown in the car on the way back in the car seat, demanding to sit in the front with mummy. And I was like, when have you ever sat in the front of the car? Yeah, in two and a half years of being in the car experience, you're always in your seat. For some reason, she was adamant that I have to sit in the front with mummy. And she goes through phases of, well, this is mummy. I only want to be with mummy or I only want to be with daddy and kind of thing. So it's all learning. And I guess there's all part of this emotional intelligence. And the sooner we can start laying those foundations mm. without being too prescriptive or guiding, which is another thing to learn as a parent and leader. It's just so amazing that at three, she can label the emotion she's experiencing, that she can say that she's angry. She could say that she's happy. Even those base foundation emotions can be very tricky for some people to label accurately. I mean, I work with people all the time and I ask them, hey, so we're going to start today. And <laughs> I just want you to take a moment and think about how are you feeling today? And they're just like, like, I'm okay, I'm fine. And I said, okay, so let's try an emotion word, happy, sad, angry. And they can sometimes get the theme. But even saying the word, I'm fine, you would think is somewhere in the happy realm. Mm -hmm. And then when I pull up an emotions chart and they find the word, it's not in the happy realm. So I find it really interesting that sometimes this confusion between what is a normal state for people 
they would automatically define or describe as happy if they had to guess at the emotion. However, when you ask them a bunch of questions that allow them to navigate, is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it low energy? Is it high energy? And then you ask them based on where in that quadrant or scale they live, they're over in the blue zone of emotions. They're over in the sort of, I'm fatigued, deflated, somewhat pessimistic, mm -hmm. but I thought I was fine. And as soon as they learn to articulate the words, it really shifts then what they're thinking about, how they're thinking about it, and brings on some of those elements of, oh boy, yeah. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to define myself as this way. I thought that maybe I was happier or more well or whatever. So being able to start at a young age, I think is so important to give our children that lesson of acknowledging and validating how they feel and giving them that vocabulary to be able to say what they're feeling, even if they can't regulate it yet. Because the first step is being able to say it identify it. The second step is learning how to regulate it. I remember when Aiden was young and until you can even articulate what it is you want, being able to then articulate and manage your emotions, it's going to be so much harder. You're just learning to master the English language or the language of spoken choice to be able to then be that <laughs> intelligent about articulating and managing your emotions. We can't expect our young children to do that. However, we can certainly teach them, let's name it and let's validate it and let's feel it that this is your experience. When I speak with parents of young children, we talk about that a lot, about how do you manage your own emotions when your child is having a freak out? Indeed, yeah, well, a lot of things you said there, I think, yeah, just to clarify, there's probably there's probably only angry, sad, and maybe tired that she that she <laughs> says when she's doing it. But when you were talking about that, and, and especially talking to an adult, there are lots of things that that they have learned since you know, two and a half to you know, 30, 40, whatever there is. One of those being all the massive array of other emotions mm -hmm. to complicate, you know, what it is I'm really feeling. And, and then on the flip side of that, all the things of like, self-management and, and shame and guilt and all these things that we talked about going well I kind of know what I'm going to say but something in telling me is that I shouldn't be honest or all these different things they've experienced probably since that age that has taken them a step back from being just completely blunt honest like a, a toddler is and then also what you said there about expressing it it made me think that another problem is a lot of people they might know what their emotion is but they don't know how to fully express it or to let it go. Like they held onto it too long by either not naming it and expressing it or they withdraw and they're not honest with themselves first and foremost. And then they obviously can't be honest with, with whoever they're interacting with. In one way, it's good that she has these kind of temper tantrums or, or has this massive outsource of energy. And, and it, we obviously have to learn to regulate that in certain experiences, but perhaps that is actually a negative impact on us. And if we, could hang on to that more childlike mm. expressive thing in the right outlets it might create less dis-ease in people and, and help with that emotional mental well-being that we see materialize in burnout and work experience or emotional breakdown in, in a relationship these kind of things that when I was young I worked in Italian restaurants so as you'll know an Italian person is extremely expressive and they're always flow with their emotions not to be too stereotypical but you know it, it is true I have seen it many times and I'm yeah. sure you know it too sometimes my anger kind of can surge forward. I'm like, well, it's just this Italian passion, red-blooded thing in me. And it's actually a good thing. It's not something to hide and I'm just going to do it. And then 
when I do it, it's gone. And I don't sit with that and you don't become like, my, my wife called me this the other day, a mood hoover. So like, <laughs> got, I've never heard it before. I don't know where she got it from. And, <laughs> and if I'm in a bad mood, then she was like, you can just feel it, it's radiating and you're not open to them. But if you're in a good mood and, and happy with them, then that means we have a, we can have a much more fun experience. Yeah, I don't know if that really answers what your question is, but... Well, there wasn't a question. I, no, I, there wasn't, was there? No, no there wasn't really a question, but I love I love that. Maintenance of the childlike non-association to the actual emotion they're experiencing. They allow themselves to experience it and then release it. It's gone. It's done. You see kids do that all the time, where they get upset about something, and then you help them navigate the solution because oftentimes their experience doesn't allow them to see how do I fix this? You know, when yeah. I remember times when my child was trying to put the shape in, in the box, so match the shape in the box, and he didn't quite have it turned the right way. And I could see myself reflected in him in that when I can't do things like that, I just try to muscle it. Like I just try to force it mm -hmm. as hard as possible. <laughs> and so I could see him like trying to muscle it and the frustration growing. And placing my hand over his and saying, just a, just a little turn, honey, and the small turn. And then it went through and he's like, oh, well, great. That's awesome. And he totally released it. Whereas sometimes when we're older and we meet that resistance, we get angry and then we carry the anger. Mm. And I believe that carrying of the anger comes from that space of, I need to continue to demonstrate to the other person or the other thing that I was right, they were wrong. And so I'm holding on to the anger until they recognize that mm. and give me the kudos that I need for having been right. Or I really need to make sure they understand how at fault that they were when in actuality, yeah. they didn't create anything. And if you feel yourself as you have a sense of you failing or you can't do the task and then, you know, you have to think about, well, where's this all coming back from? Is it because... When I couldn't put the shape in the hole, mm. my parents or someone didn't just go put their hand gently over me and go, here you go, son, just gently in there. They went, oh, no, just stop. You're wasting my time. Like They were frustrated. They were putting whatever was on in their head onto you. And then, you know, that gets slowly imprinted. And I think also holding on to the anger, but also holding on to the fear. I think, you know, they're pretty much the same kind of thing in, in a Buddhist idea of attachment. You know, those are the two things, the kind of flip side of whether it's fear or whether it's anger. And both of those things, like sometimes she will say, oh, I'm scared, I'm scared. And what are you scared of? And she'll say something which doesn't really know fear or scaredness does that an adult would know. She's maybe seen a cartoon or she's read a book with a, you know, a big bad wolf or something like that. And she'll mm -hmm. just have an idea of what it means. But it's not until we can kind of start connecting all of those dots, which in one effect we think, oh, brilliant, we, we understand now, we know. But the other side of it is that it leads to all these more complications when it from an emotional point of view to yes I understand this picture but now I understand that picture I can also see it from the other way around and, and recognize the pitfalls or the potential things that I need to hide from or not to show people or that other people will judge me for because I've experienced that or that's what I've been taught even in a workplace too I'm sure absolutely this is a perfect segue into in parenting, how we come to be aware of our own fears when our child enters the world. I'm going to share my big one. And this is going to be a vulnerable type of share. When I was younger, I experienced sexual abuse. And so when my son was born, I was incredibly fearful of leaving him with anybody, even people that I knew and knew well. I just did not want anything like that to happen to him. And so I spent 
all of my time with him. I would take him everywhere that I went. And if anybody wanted to spend alone time with him, I didn't say no, like you can't. Most of the time I would just hide it and say, we can all spend time together. That'd be great. With the exception, of course, my husband can spend a little time with his son. First, the identification of that's what was coming up for me, having been through therapy before to work on it for my own personal recovery and healing, I had thought, well, I had already worked on that. And so to have it reappear when my son came up really made me a quote unquote helicopter parent when he was very young. I was always around him, always paying attention to him, always making sure that everything was okay. I was hypersensitive to everything. And I had to really harness all of the work that I had been doing in emotional self-awareness and emotional management and following the narrative associated to this irrational fear because there was no one, he was never in danger. It was completely irrational for me to think that this could happen, would happen to him just because I had a previous experience. And working through that brought me to my own next level of self-awareness of how something from so long ago could reappear again in a new situation in more of a projected sense as opposed to just an internal sense. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and in terms of a, a therapy kind of relationship, there's only kind of so much that you can go through there and, and, and mm-hmm. you, you're completely reliant on the other person, especially if you were younger. Um, you're like, well, you're the expert. Tell me what to do. We'll walk through it. We'll relieve things and we'll believe that in relieving that we have gone past it. And yes, we can say that from a psychological point of view, but from a more spiritual, energetic point of view, you know, there's a belief that these kind of things leave a really, for want of a better word, like a... a piece of your soul or like a black mark or something in your, in your inside you that you can't feel or touch or they call it like a soul retrieval is like something that you would do so you, the belief that when you go through this a, a fragment of your soul is broken off and it's taken away from you and so you're forever in that space of wanting to regain something that's lost even though it's sort of unconscious and then that malaise can develop into physical illness or something like that so that, that's just a, a certain belief structure if you, if you believe in that so the fact that you describe that made me think of you know obviously to a much less degree my parents very controlling very precautionary you know I see it now with, with Camille like we went out last night and they're like oh, be careful there don't sit there watch what you're doing don't run all this kind of stuff and when I was first parent all those two years ago I was the same you know you were really worried you don't want anything to happen especially with a young baby when there is more chance of something serious happening I suppose but the more she's got older the more she's wanted to show that natural exuberance and adventure and all this kind of stuff that we celebrate and that we as coaches try to maybe go back to and go look you need to connect with your inner child you need to do all those fun things and find that joy and happiness that you lost Mm -hmm. and that you're searching for and why you feel a bit out of balance it was only when I could acknowledge that and yeah it's always fun spending time with my parents but now I use it as a learning experience because I especially with Camille because I can see seeing how they're reacting with her and then I can relate that back to how I'm reacting to her and And so the next time I'm in that similar situation, I have a choice to either follow that path that they followed, that I experienced (laughs) and can perpetuate that same storyline, or I can create a new one and create a new possibility for Camille. And so something as simple as just let her run free in the garden, let her play, let her do this. And yes, she might hurt herself, but that's, that's a way of learning. That's a way she'll experience something and it will be without blinkers on, it will be a true experience and my hope is that that will give her a fuller, better opportunity. We'll see, maybe we'll visit this in, in 10, 15 years and be like, oh, that was the wrong thing. <laughs> but no, I'm sure it won't be. 
to that point, our experiences as parents can put dampers on our children's experiences, mm -hmm. just like our parents, their experiences put dampers on ours. And when we can break that cycle, I think what ends up happening is we experience that freedom from the fear by reconciling with it. We experience the freedom from that fear. And then we release the chains of passing that forward to our children. Fear, aside from loud noises and falling, every other one is learned. So we're born with those two, but every other fear that we conjure up is something that we learn. To your point of you, you read Little Red Riding Hood. I wasn't afraid of wolves before, but now I am. <laughs> like <laughs> he devours the grandmother. Like what is happening here? No, so now I've learned. Yeah, now I've learned to be afraid of wolves and gingerbread houses in the forest. And so it's really quite interesting how quickly from a very young age, we can learn so many different fears that begin to influence then how we choose to navigate life. Yeah. And that's what he says. Two points. One, everything we were just saying, I was obvious that all of that equates to exactly the same as your experience as an employee or as a leader had these bad experiences with your boss or as the boss, and you just keep perpetuating that and all the kind of stuff we're doing all the EQ work or the mindfulness or the well-being, whatever it might be, is all about breaking that cycle. First becoming aware of that cycle, then becoming a witness to that cycle, and then being able to make choices. Do I follow that? What are the other options? Do I learn all these EQ things to give me more scope and more potential and more ways for me to show up and listen more to that sort of intuitive voice rather than just remembering that intellectual mind story that you experience? And then I don't know if it was you, maybe I read it in another book saying, you know, I like to read a, a children's book one, once a week or once in a while, just to remind me of that kind of purer essence. And there's some new book now, I forget what it is. I know Kevin Monroe has been talking Fox, about it. The Mole, The Horse, yeah, yeah, that's boy, it, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of idea of it. But then when you just said that, I was like, oh, well, the opposite of that is true also, because you've got all these nursery rhymes and fairy tales that, <laughs> that you love and because you remember them and they're easy for them to you to read with her and to interact and to memorize and then regurgitate and you think oh isn't that darling she's singing that song then if you actually listen to the word you're like actually that's quite outdated or, <laughs> not, very inclusive, or not very diverse or there's a lot of fear hidden into those stories which maybe at one point was useful but now it's just sowing the seeds for that fear-based mentality which will only become even more entrenched in their life as they get older and get more exposed to more and more things. So mm -hmm. yeah, maybe I have to be more mindful of what the reader tonight when she goes to bed. <laughs> There's, I think this distinction too, in as we become a parent and as our children age, different things will pop up for us because the experiences, especially the first time you're a parent, as they get older, the experiences alter. So the fears that live within us pop up throughout that timeline. When Aiden started to enter into a grade five, and even at that point, I enjoyed walking him to school. And he had started to feel like, mom, I think I'm old enough to walk myself. And I said, that was all, you were always old enough to walk yourself. <laughs> That's not why I'm walking you is because you're incapable. I'm walking you because I enjoy this time together. We have lovely conversations in that seven minutes between home and school. And like the, the kiss goodbye, the expression of love, the, the setup for a really wonderful day. But he shared back in that moment that he thought, 
all of my classmates and kids at school are watching you like kiss me goodbye. And that that's like awkward. And this became a supremely pivotal conversation in that embarrassment. So he's experienced embarrassment. And I remember when I was a kid, I experienced embarrassment a lot because my mom did that. My mom kissed us. She was part of the, she was a trustee. She was part of the PTA. She was always in the school. Like I remember way more often than not my mother's voice in the hallways of, of my grade school. She was always there and people knew who she was and would, I love your mother. She's amazing. She's incredible. And like, she is an incredible woman. She's also insanely embarrassing. <laughs> and my <laughs> friends would say to me, I wish my mom was like that. And so I, in that moment, when he said this to me, I had a flashback to when my friends said, I wish my mom was like that. And so I use that as an opportunity to share with my son what other children might be experiencing when they see us express our love for each other is their desire to have had that. And so when they watch us, they get this sense of like, oh, see, it exists in the world, a sense of hope, a sense of optimism, a sense of, I would like to experience that. Perhaps what we're doing is influencing that they'll show more of their love to the people that they love. Just offering him that perspective he didn't bring it up ever again. He never brought up walking him to school. He never brought up kisses goodbye. He never hesitated anymore to do that. For me, I thought like, really, I thought that was a huge parenting win to have that conversation because it would have been so easy for me to get offended. It would have been so easy to say, what do you mean you don't want to kiss me and why? and be angry at it? But why be angry? Acknowledging that there's something very real for your child there and helping them to see another perspective that they're not capable of maybe seeing yet. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, for me, when we talk about emotional intelligence, for me, the most important thing, yes, interpersonal relationship skills. For me, whenever we've talked about it, and I remember you first telling me about, you know, you visualize this speech ball and you, you can see mm -hmm. one side of it and you can only see this and it's you know, two-dimensional, but if you kind of walk right around, you realize it's a three-dimensional structure. And if you can start to kind of do that in your mind and understand all the different perspectives of all these people and feel lucky to think that there are lots of us in our sort of group and the humans first group and wider the word love is shared freely and truthfully and meaningfully effortlessly and with no sense of recrimination or doubt for me i always put a thankful sign in the heart pretty much every comment and I, there's part of my brain that sometimes goes oh should you be doing that and especially if it's like a new person or especially if it's a new female person and I like I put that and I think oh are they going to think inappropriate uh, use of that and I thought well if they do then that's their problem because that's not what I'm bringing that's not what I'm sharing all this stuff that we're talking about emotional intelligence in parenting becomes even more important to try to at least be aware of, you know, we don't want to get back to going saying, you must do this best practice. You must be the best person. You must be the perfect parent because it doesn't exist. As our children grow up, of course, what ends up happening is a stronger need for the balance between understanding expectations, discipline, accountability, in whatever way that really looks for you as a parent. Everyone's disciplines differently. However, I do believe what often gets parents stuck is the deep desire to be liked, to be their child's friend, to not be the parent who is the oddball out. Your kid's friends, all of their parents, let them have a phone, play video games without 
a time limit, stay up till whenever they want, eat whatever they want. And I'm describing this from experience. You're the parent that has limits on all of those things. And so being able to have the kind of conversations as frequently as the child needs the conversations to be had, to make sure that expectations are understood for the depth that they need to be understood and that we hold accountability to them. If I put it into place and I don't hold them accountable, what ends up happening in that relationship, I believe, is your child starts to lose respect for you because you don't follow through. Following through establishes things like trust, respect, consistency. They might not like it, but they will respect you. And I believe that respect and trust allows for the likability, the love to exist much stronger than when we don't. What we've done with Aiden is he's old enough that when we have put restrictions on things like game playing time, And he gets an hour on weekdays and two hours on the weekends. And his friends get many more hours. And he's seemingly okay with it because he doesn't argue the fact. He doesn't get upset that, you know, he can't play more game time. Is that we send him articles. He's old enough. So we send him articles on the research done around video games and screen time and the importance of exercise and well-being and practices and gratitude and fresh air. Like we send him all of the information because when it's just coming from us, like I remember listening to stuff my parents said, I'm like, where are you getting, like you're pulling this out of your ass. Where are you getting this information from? (laughs) It had, it seemed like it didn't have any footing in it. And so my husband and I send Aiden frequently Ted talks, articles, He reads books. Right now he's reading Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama, the book of happiness. He's loving it. And and I don't think Aiden is unique. Like I think when we talk about him, sometimes people will look and go, your son's different than every other kid. No, I don't think he's different than any other kid is I think as parents, we've established the line as parents as to how we want to raise him. And we remember where the line is, even when it's super hard to do. Yeah, so I'd say that absolutely, he's not the one that's unique, but the way that you are going about being a parent is not unique, but more unique. And I don't mean that, I mean that in a positive way, because when you said you were talking about not wanting to be the bad parent or you know the one that restricts them and you're putting all these limitations in place, you're kind of playing a short game. You're like, I want him to be my friend and love me right now. But then perhaps down the line, I get to 20, 30, like these people who come to you now to be your clients, they're like, because of this, they gave me all this stuff, but they didn't really give me that personal one-to-one connection time, which I know from, you know, stories we've shared and pictures like the one just yesterday, you have a very close connection, all three of you, or four with Chuck. Yes, it, he might resent in the short term, like, oh, I wish I could play more games or do this more stuff with my, with my friends, but it, you have that short game thing where they're, they're your best buddy or they, they think you're great. But then when it comes down to the line, they realize that you missed all this stuff out. You didn't try, didn't put enough effort in because you know maybe you thought that was the right thing to just let them play and do whatever but then the other people like let's say project 20 years Aiden will be like well me and my mom are still best friends we still you know hug and and kiss whenever we meet and and we have that perfect relationship whereas he won't be the person coming to someone like you going I need help with this or I need coaching with this or I need therapy all this kind of stuff because you took the hard decision to to play the long game rather than And I know that obviously there'll be times when you will, or you did, or you have, but also finding that limitation, putting those boundaries in place in a way that doesn't, 
stop you from having that connection because things like video games we didn't have those so it's hard for me to kind of Mm -hmm. that into how I parent or how I learn to parent whereas this other way you kind of have to find a way to allow them to have all that freedom but still have that connection time as well so it's it's an even harder job that you're giving for yourself and not wishing to go back to that be perfect be the best person you're giving yourself that harder thing for the long-term effect that it'll have for the child but also for your relationship because I know that you have mentioned before about your, your mom and, and for me, mm-hmm. we're fine. You know, we get on, it's, it's not a problem, but there's no, like, <laughs> Lisa was reminding me some things she was telling me last night. And I was like, yeah, I probably wasn't paying any attention to that because it was just, like, I was just you know, we just don't yeah. have, you know, super close yeah. connection. And she'll always want to come and, you know, give me a hug and stuff. And obviously we'll do that, but it's not coming from a, you know, from a heart point of view. It's maybe yeah. coming from a head point of view or it's coming from that, you know, oh, I'm doing this for, for her benefit in the way that I you know, do things for other people. And I think you're absolutely right with the way that you're doing it. I'm sure there have been many times where it's been a struggle or, or, or Aiden has pushed back on it. But you know, the long-term result will be you will have that close relationship for life. And also when, when Aiden has kids or, or Camille has mm. kids, hopefully they'll have that other example to, to fit on and it will be more acceptable for them to go, oh, my mum was great, she did this, and I want to do that with her, rather than, oh, I can remember when my mum did this, that was not right, and so I need to... <laughs> yes, exactly. That has been the driving factor in my parenting, is because as an adult, looking back at how I was raised and the nuances of how I was raised, both from my father, how he parented, and my mother, how she parented, and being able to go, oh, I will never do that thing. I will never vehemently yell at my children. I just remember as a kid, when I experienced that, how it chipped away at my self-worth and I just felt like dirt. And so I will never speak to my child like that. That is a non-negotiable hard line in the sand. I will learn that when I am angry, how to regulate that that energy, to take a deep breath, and then to have a conversation because I need to validate that I might be upset, but I have to be able to communicate that in a way that doesn't desensitize him to when he does things that are upsetting in their nature, to when he crosses a boundary that doesn't need to be crossed or shouldn't be crossed in his behavior. Out of things like trust and respect and learning how to build those with other people. Because I was parented in a way where I became desensitized to the yelling. I never knew what my mom was really upset about because it was all the time. And so I, you like, you stop listening. Like there she is flying off the rails again. And so you don't really get to understand to make those connections until you're much older. And then only if you really want to look back and examine, what did I really learn from those situations when I was younger? I think it's just as important to be able to learn from our past what doesn't work and then to figure out from our own perspective as a parent, what does work, what resonates with my true self, who I am authentically and how I want to parent so that I can raise an individual who knows their true self, who can be authentic, who knows what it's like to build trust and have respect for other people who shows up kind who shows up as their true self really yes and I would also 100% agree with everything you just said there but I would also just say 
picturing myself in that role of the parent and, and you're trying to do this kind of you know, take that time out and you know, whatever's going on in your head that's not necessarily to do with the child but is still in your head uh, maybe the rest of your day has been pretty shitty and you would just think mm. oh this is the last thing and then you snap not beating yourself up about that fact and then remembering that self-compassion bit the self-care bit and, and realizing that yes you are a parent yes you have a you know this role this duty to try to instill in them to try and present to try and portray but at the same time you also have a, a responsibility to yourself and not beating that's a really mindfulness thing you know if you do shout at them if you do lose your temper if you do this kind of thing not to really just then add that into the mix and then keep bury that down and you have more more shame more guilt more oh god oh, don't want to do that again oh that reminds me of my mom that reminds me of my dad and just kind of like well that maybe that's just just what happened and, and maybe you do need to step away from it maybe you know go and do that breathing exercise or whatever it is you want to do and even when everything does go wrong just have enough of that self-care and self-love to appreciate that you know you're not perfect you are human you're going to make mistakes and and then not be like oh every little thing i do is is leaving some imprint on my child for you know their entire future so ah, you just kind of close down again and you, <laughs> you ruin just them for life <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a thought though <laughs> it is we do learn i think that as human beings even as children are very resilient we're very resilient to those types of things. I love that recommendation of self-compassion and knowing that, so you screw up in this one moment, that means you can be better in the next moment. And judging ourselves for our worst behavior is never an avenue to take. Learn from that and course correct. Do better next time you want to be a better parent. Those moments also, when I have blown up, they have given me a deeper level of empathy for perhaps why my mom did or why my dad did. When I was in it as their child, I had just thought it was because they were assholes. And then when I did, I was like, but I'm not an asshole. Oh, hang on a second. <laughs> maybe, maybe they weren't either. And that whole perspective yeah. really was, it kind of like shook my world a little. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I may have been wrong here. <laughs> Turns <laughs> out I was. <laughs> wrong. Another layer of awareness or leather perspective, because we're sitting here as parents thinking about, we're thinking forward going, oh, this, what's impact is going to have on my child? And then we're like, hang on, we can also take this back and realize all this stuff that was happening there. And we just kind of, and it gives you exactly, like you said, a moment to reconnect or to rebuild a, a bridge or whatever it might be. And then also, and yes, that's what I was going to say. Thank you. Forgiveness is such an important lesson to learn. The more opportunities you have to practice that for yourself, but also to share and show, show your child and your mum and dad, the better. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been lovely. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts or parting words of wisdom? Yeah, just not to get too caught up in the moment. So often when it comes to an emotion, we can find ourselves in a kind of tunnel vision situation and all that knowledge and experience and training, whatever it is we've done, disappear, just dissolves. And you're just so focused on this one thing and all the things you know you should do or you shouldn't do kind of go out of the window and everything is, is forsaken. But step back have a breath and, and then yeah have that self-compassion have that self-forgiveness and understand that not every little thing is going to have a massive detrimental impact on on the other person because like you said it might even be a positive learning tool because like you, you learn that these bad shouting experiences meant you would never do that when you do it so there are always different perspectives and infinite possibilities of each experience not all just bad they're not all just negative have that awareness and have that feeling to give yourself a break every now and again 
about you? It's to remember there's no one right way to parent. Yeah. You can be a friend, you can be the disciplinarian, you can be the lesson learner, you can be the fun parent, you can be all of these kinds of things at all different times as a parent. I do believe our exceptional nature as parents is knowing when to be which, when each is needed of you and having that depth of skill as a parent to be able to go, I need the fun tool right now. I need the listening tool right now. I need the disciplinarian tool right now. And under that, leading with love every single time. When we grab the disciplinary tool, we lead with love when we do it. When we grab the fun tool, we lead with love when we do it. If we can find that source to underpin everything that we do as a parent, then I think pretty much every time you'll knock it out of the park. As a parent, what are you trying to do? You're trying to, you're trying to teach them something. You're trying to role model something, good or bad, showing them different possibilities, different ways of being, different choices you can make, different opportunities potential for them and, and the importance of choosing and the importance that all of this is possible with insider so showcase all these different things don't get too bf about it because you know they're, they're learning things they're like oh oh this is the fun thing and then maybe as they get older they'll recognize that more and understand these different skills that they can use in different situations to make a bad situation better or, or the reverse again that relates back to some of the eq skills that are so important in uh, in life yeah okay so maybe this is our power nugget here in your experience as a parent what is your power skill something that you want to share with everyone as hey try this this is a really impactful effective parenting tool well as you know one of the things that i'm very fond of is listening as a parent you're probably far more likely to be doing the the telling the instructing that you're doing more talking especially at this age anyway i'm sure it'll evolve when you maybe have a different perspective on that but always be willing to listen before you speak a at her age the amazing things that she comes out with are always just like even if you're in a really bad mood or you're, you're like oh and then she'll say something you're like what what did she just say what is that come from where she heard that from and you're just like immediate diffuse situation and then obviously when you're older taking the time to listen to them and to have that develop that communication and all the trust and all the things that you've talked about become so much more important and obviously at this young age are not so prevalent so yeah that that would be my first thing is to pause and listen before what do we always say um not react respond and it's just a bit step before that isn't it so don't react listen listen some more ask some questions then respond <laughs> Yeah, beautiful. I love that. For me, my power tip that I think I have learned the most is the power of apology. As a parent, I have swallowed my pride and stepped into apologizing for when my behavior was bad, for when my behavior was not the right behavior to be displaying at that time. And I think that that is one of the reasons why I've corrected behaviors, the willingness to apologize. There's personal accountability when we apologize because that, for me, the act of apology is I don't like this feeling. I don't like that feeling of swallowing my pride and needing to apologize for poor behavior. And so I don't want to do the poor behavior again. So when I force myself in to vocalize that to the other person, 
it really reinforces my motivation and drive to never do that again and find the other way and make a different choice. As a parent, for me, has probably been the best thing that I've learned and the best thing that I've done with my son. Love that. So in a way, that's the flip side of when we talked about forgiveness. You know, the apology is kind of the opposite to that. And it also works backwards as well as it works forwards. Maybe it's time, to, maybe it's time we both call our mum. <laughs> it's time, yeah. <laughs> to that end, let's uh, thank our listeners for engaging with us for another episode of TNT. Happy Christmas to everyone. And we wish you all the best into the new year. Yeah, absolutely. And also to thank all our amazing guests who have joined us over this year and 60 some odd people join us. We've learned so much from them. Hopefully they've learned something from us. And I'm sure all our listeners have learned loads and loads and loads and loads from all of those amazing conversations. And there's there's many more to come. And yeah, I just wanted to say Happy New Year. And, and we're both involved in Hope Fest thing for, for the new year and into January. And I think it's a really important message to get behind and to share, especially given the last 12 months that we've had and especially the restrictions and changes that we've had to adapt to. And, you know, one of the things that we need to always hold on to is is that hope and not lose sight of that. So here's to a much more hope-filled and uh, expansive and opportunity-filled 2021. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.